Thank you, Linda. Do you want to follow that? <laughs> That's great. Thank you. But with really no preparation, I thought Jamie. But our leader, uh, Jane Patterson, does a wonderful job and is extremely thorough. I, I will, I will say that. Uh, I'd like uh, to, as a part of the pastor's report, uh, just first of all, uh, thank you for being here, and second of all, ask that uh, um, for the staff members um, who are here. Would you please stand up so we can just see you? Uh, I'm really grateful. Thank you. Uh, as we talk about it, one of the things I wanted to do was give each of the pastors an opportunity to speak in, in the context of my report. So my remarks will be briefer than normal, but uh, they will all have um, a, a chance. But uh, I'm going to fit them within a certain framework. But uh, first, we had a last-minute addition. Uh, to our list, Dinah, Shelley. So Dinah, why don't I let you just come up rather than plug you in since, uh, and let Dinah uh, share for a moment. Well, I just wanted to uh, thank you, thank the cabinet, thank David, and, and thank the congregation for this year of family leave. It's been an important year for me. And I think it was the right decision because uh, not only did we have Daniel as an addition to our family, but there were some unforeseen circumstances as well for our family that it was important for me to be around and be available. Uh, Daniel is eight months old now, and he and I are ready to get out of the house. <laughs> and Keith says that I've gotten way too good at online shopping. So <laughs> my hope is that in January, that um, I can come back to the church and work part-time. Um, my plan is to be in the office on Tuesdays and Wednesdays, and then I'm going to teach a Sunday school class on Sundays at 9.30 in the chapel. Um, the, uh, the theme is putting the school back in Sunday school. <laughs> Does that scare you? <laughs> um, it's going to be a Bible study, and we're going to start with the Gospel of Luke. And then I'm hoping to do some hospital visits as well and anything else that I can do to help the pastoral staff. So thank you, and I'm looking forward to seeing more of you again. That's yes, Joy. Sunday school class, or is it a certain age, or just anybody welcome? Anybody's welcome, but it is an adult Sunday school class. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks, Maya. Um, Berkey, do you want to join the band or wait? Okay, Bertie has band practice tonight. He's multi-talented and spent the whole weekend with us. Then let me, uh, there are notes to hand you afterwards, but our lay speaker taught me several years ago, Jim Clyde, if I gave them to you ahead of time, you'd look in the notes, you'd miss what was happening here. So I'd like to uh, make my uh, report, and then I'll have a very brief outline available uh, up here at the desk when it's done. I want to say this, um, just two uh, comments to preface. One is I would probably say less to you than I've said in previous years, and I've thought more about it. And I don't know the correlation between the two. Um, that's the first thing. The second thing is I want you to know how much I appreciate who you are and who you have been. And um, I just want that as, as a preparatory comment. Now this is what I want to say. Uh, some years ago, when my middle son was uh, younger, 
his favorite uh, VHS that tells you how long ago it was, was a movie called Land Before Time. Don't know how many of you remember the movie. So dinosaurs that get separated from their parents as the parents go look for new land to consume because they're, I guess, herbivores. And so the three or so that get separated go through a lot of adventures to find this new land and join up in the new land. There's many scary things, but lessons are learned, community is formed. It's a wonderful thing. At the end of the movie, you, you I think, feel good about the situation. I always didn't feel good about the situation. Because even though they got reunited with their parents at the end of the movie in this new land where there was grass and trees, I said to myself, they're still dinosaurs. They don't know it, but they're going to be extinct. They don't know it, but their days are numbered. Now, we can debate, Mark and I have already had this debate, whether it was a comet slash asteroid, which I believe is one of the theories still current in schools, or whether it was some sort of climate change. But the fact was, they were hit by something they never anticipated, and, uh, and they were gone. We have, in many ways, uh, we do in many ways resemble that dinosaur. We search for new land, for more land to carry on what we were made to do, and we found it, and we found it. And we've found trees and water and whatever the analogy is here. And it's been a wonderful thing. We've consumed a lot. We've given a lot. But the fact of the matter is that the climate's beginning to change. And we are in danger of extinction as church and even as large church. Let me just give you a few of the signs of the climate or the coming comet, depending on your theory. Let's just take a few examples. Recent weeks, church shows up on the front page of the newspaper for an investigation. Yesterday, church shows up on the newspaper today because someone came to church and started shooting. Many years ago, church in Animal Heights was sued to prevent it from expanding. The days in which we live, no longer does the church hold the place at the center of society, a protected, privileged place. We look much more like the church of the first century, which enjoyed no protection and no privilege and no buildings and no ordained leaders, and yet they grew like wildfire. One of the things that we are finding about this day is that fewer and fewer people want to join an institution. They don't want to give their lives to support an institution. They want something meaningful for their life. They want to do life together, and they want to make a difference together. They don't want to feed a larger machine. We will begin to feel those effects in the next few years if we haven't already. And I think we have to be wiser than the dinosaurs and understand that because we're not dinosaurs and because we have the Holy Spirit, we can adapt. We can make some changes. We can move forward in these days. These are different days. Sally Morgenthaler has uh, new uh, statistics that I believe finally speak the truth. She says, while people for years have reported worship attendance to George Gallup of 40%, she says that's a 1950s figure at best. She said the most accurate 
Uh, in, indications are that at your synagogue and your church on a typical weekend in the United States of America, attendance is at 18%. Now, here's the good news. That's three times the UK. But if you watch them, you can see us. We're moving, we're moving that way. I mean, it's true of our own church. 5,600 members. Let's pull out. Let's pull out the, the uh, children who are kind of attendants but aren't full members. Let's pull out the visitors. We have a figure in our own church of under 20%. Things are changing. Things are changing. And one of the things that happens is churches sometimes are so large they get insulated. They're big enough that they can get to the tree first. Or they can use the grass for themselves first. Uh, and so we're a little slower to feel this. But others are seeing it and they're beginning to write about it. So here's my thing. I love Jesus. I love you. I love a church. And I have no desire for us to become extinct. I do have, I have no desire for us to do what is not going to be productive for the kingdom of God. Now, here's the harder part. What that adaptation looks like in this time of climate change is not exactly certain. I believe that we are much like the church of the first century and the people of Israel in the wilderness. Our best hope lies in listening for God's voice and letting him guide us through foreign territory. So we're going to embark on a destination as a church, our trip on as a church to a destination that I, I admit to you is unknown. I can't come before you tonight and give you a five-year plan because there ain't one. Because God hasn't said this is where you'll be in five years. I asked a friend uh, in this church, uh, who uh, many of you know, works with a very large corporation. Do you all do 10-year plans? He said, no. Do you do five-year plans? He said, no. The business world has figured this out. They're struggling. As, as my colleague Scott here pointed out, why do you think IBM runs those, all those commercials about trying to get ideas and innovation and help people with that? Because they know businesses are as confused as we are in this changing world. But we have an advantage. We have the Holy Spirit. And we have in our DNA, in the New Testament book of Acts, a highly mobile, flexible, committed group of people. And we can be that group. So, here's what I want to say. Destination is unknown, but I believe the hallmarks of the journey are very clear. So, I want to suggest to you tonight five things that I think we need to begin to incorporate in our church so that we will be open to the future that God has for us. Here's the first one. Jesus is the way. He is the path. And discipleship is the issue for the church. There is no other issue. We either make disciples or we don't. It's not whether you're a member. It's not whether your wedding was done according to plan. Whether your kids even got a good biblical education. The bottom line is, did people follow Christ passionately? Did they become? That is what we will have to measure. And if more people feel the sanctuary because of that, praise God. And if it comes to fewer, but the fewer who are in there look more like Jesus, praise God. But discipleship will be the number one issue for us. Now, I believe mission is a huge part of that, but we're not going to talk about that until point five. But uh, <laughs> let's talk about discipleship. So, 
there's a person who's passionate about discipleship, and I want her to talk with you for a minute, and that's Linda Marcel. Well, thank you. Um, when I began to pray about what I would share regarding discipleship tonight, I realized that my story would not be complete without sharing a little part of my journey. About seven years ago, I came to this church and was taken under the wing of one of the staff members here. This person spent the next four years discipling me and teaching me everything that the Lord had taught them. I began as someone who could barely pray out loud, and now I am on the path to becoming a deacon in the Methodist Church. Had it not been for the investment of time and encouragement that was given me, I would not be where I am today. And because of the gift that I was given, I had the desire to give it with others. I prayed that the Lord would bring me women that I could love and encourage, and shortly thereafter, the Lord began to answer my prayers. Over the last two years, I have discipled 12 women, and they, in turn, have turned around and doubled that number. These women have become such a part of my life that I can't imagine life without them. I've been in their wedding. I've held their children, and I've walked with them through the difficult days of adoption. We have laughed and we have cried, but this has been one of the richest, most powerful parts of my journey so far. But what I've learned about discipleship is that it is not about a program, a model, a method, or a formula, but it is about intentional, Christ-centered relationships. Jesus gave us the perfect model for discipleship. He gathered students around him and walked through life with them at his side, and ministry happened in a simple way with everyone he came in contact with, and the disciples learned by following what he did. The Lord doesn't give us a complicated method to do ministry, and yet for some reason we want to make it hard. It is in the development of the relationship that we share biblical principles and life application. Accountability comes in a natural way and is an integral part of the process. Discipleship is about prayer, it's about relying on the leading of the Holy Spirit, and it is about building intentional Christ-centered relationships. So I think it is important that we ask the question tonight, who is it that God has placed in our path that could benefit from our love and companionship? Who is it that he is guiding us toward nurturing in the faith and offering prayer and encouragement? We are told by Jesus himself to go and make disciples. And when I look around this room and I see that we are 40 to 50 people deep, I am reminded that it only took 12 fully devoted Christ followers to change the world. The second thing I want to say is we must all listen and respond to the voice of God. Scripturally, I think of the story of Eli and Samuel. Samuel's called by God but doesn't know what to do with it. And finally, Eli helps him. Another a wonderful passage in the book of Numbers when uh, people begin to prophesy for God, and yet there are two people who aren't part of the 70 Moses has with them to start prophesying, and, and they go and they tell on them to Moses. And they want to be stopped, and Moses said, Oh, I wish that all people would be prophets. I wish that all people would listen to God. Now, granted, this makes it a little messy. It's easier if I listen to God for you and tell you exactly what I think God said, and then you get to do it. Uh, I don't think that's the way. Uh, and uh, under under this, I, there's a person who has helped me with that and helps us a lot with that, and that's Donna Street. 
In John's Gospel, in the 14th chapter, Jesus says, If anyone loves me, they will keep my word, and my Father will love them, and we will come and dwell with them and make our home with them. This love relationship is prayer. Every single one of us are in that love relationship with God. When we come to pray, whether we are speaking or whether we are listening, And it seems to me that God is speaking loud and clear in this church if we will just but open our ears and listen. Let me just share with you some of the ways that I experience uh, that uh, voice of God coming to us, especially in prayer, through um, the prayer and healing ministry that I'm involved in, and so many others are. God speaks to the people who come to us whose lives are broken and hurting, who many of them are not members of this church and will never be, but they come because God has prompted them and touched them, and we hear them, and we seek to minister to them Christ's love, mercy, compassion, and grace. Uh, They come in many ways, and they come into our prayer room, through the calls that we receive there, through the prayers that are offered, through our Wednesday night services, our special healing services, the Sunday prayer time, uh, sharing the Holy Communion, and other ways are coming to us as well. This coming year, our prayer uh, committee will be working with CASA, the uh, Child Advocates of San Antonio, to work with their ministry and especially to minister to their volunteers who work with uh, the many child abuse cases that are here in San Antonio. God speaks to us um, to reach out beyond our church, to call us to be in ministry with other Christians. Uh, We do that through the Order of St. Luke the Physician, uh, through the Citywide Healing uh, Center under Reverend Jack Sheffield. Uh, We're being called to participate in a a citywide event uh, that is sponsored through Renovari and Richard Foster and Dallas Willard that will be in 2009, and our church will be part of the prayer team for that event. Would you like to shake Dallas Willard's hand? Yes, you can. I'll let you pray, though, David. It's fascinating how God leads us outward because uh, this last July, uh, the, the Lord had spoken to a lady who happened to visit this church, and she called me and invited me to come to Second Baptist Church in Little Rock, Arkansas, to talk with them about prayer ministry and to help them move forward in their prayer ministry, and I did that. It was so exciting to see what God is doing. God speaks to us through people in this church who are willing to listen, We have a group that prays on Thursdays at noon. We have a group that prays on Thursdays in the evening. People who are seeking to hear God's voice, to uh, hear what God is saying to us as a church and where God wants us to move and be. Uh, God is speaking to us as we uh, broaden out into other areas. We have 11 members of our church who will be attending Spirit Streams. Uh, which is a conference-wide event, a spiritual renewal event um, and that will be looking at how the Holy Spirit moves us forward. And we hope that as we come back from that, that we will hear God speaking to us in new ways in this church. Um, 
We've been called also to uh, help a member from St. Paul's United Methodist Church, one of our black churches here in the city, to go to that event, and we are sponsoring her with a full scholarship. Uh, we are seeking ways to partner with other churches to be more open to the leading of the Holy Spirit. God is calling us to prayer, to relationship in this place. It is not the purview of the prayer committee or the prayer team to be in prayer. It is all of our responsibility to pray. And that praying means we speak, but it also means that we listen. St. Benedict said, listen with the ear of your heart. And I believe we at Alma High Methodists are being called to listen with the ear of our heart to what God is saying to us and where God is moving us for the future. May we all be obedient. Thank you, Donna. If the Second Baptist listens to you, they'll become First Baptist. <laughs> Within time. Third thing, on this way, we know, I believe we know that on this way, we must release outcomes and control to God. Preparation will become more critical than planning. Becoming the kind of people who God can use will become more critical than telling God all the things we're going to do for God. My favorite story in this is uh, Daniel and his three friends, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael, um, also known by their pagan names, which we won't mention. <laughs> And uh, they're threatened by Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, and he says, I'm a, you know, if you don't bow down and worship me, I'm going to throw you in the fire. And let's see what your God can do then. And their response was, you know, well, whether our God, you know, uh, our God can save us, whether our God will save us or not, we don't know, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. We're going in there. We're not about controlling the results. We are about doing what we're called to do. And that's one of the people who understands this and his own life and ministry has got here. Good evening, everybody. It's good to see you. I'll raise this just a little bit for just a second. Um, Riverside's great. Everything's good. We're having a lot of great growth. Hope Center, all those things are blooming. Loft coffee, ministry, all good stuff. Uh, worship's good, too, but that's not what I want to talk about. Uh, if you want to hear about all that other kind of stuff, uh, please ask me, because I'd love to tell you. But unfortunately for you, uh, maybe, maybe not. I actually have a different mission uh, here this evening, and that is in some ways to do uh, what David uh, has suggested that we talk about, and that is to actually um, kind of allow for a part of my journey to be uh, exposed a little bit this evening as a way of I'm learning uh, what it means to actually be a pastor, what it means to actually be a spiritual leader uh, as I go. I think all of us have kind of opportunities to do that, and that's really, I think, the journey that we're on, and it's always so much more important uh, to think about the journey than the destination. And I need to uh, talk to you about my journey right now. One little part of that is ultimately that um, while I was here serving uh, at Alamo Heights, um, I was not a submitted pastor to the leadership. I didn't understand what that meant. I had this weird experience of I didn't know what I didn't know, if that makes sense to you. And so many of you, and in fact, most prominently David Magnitsky, experienced what I like to call my spiritual teenage years. Um, and there's a lot of things that I did, choices that I made, things that, that hurt this community, subtly. Not by my heart, but by my ignorance. 
some spiritual things. And so I need to ask uh, David publicly uh, for his forgiveness and for all of you for that same thing because I didn't understand what it meant to be submitted to an authority. I thought I was here to serve you, but I was here to serve God. And in order to serve God, I have to submit to his called and anointed authority. And I didn't do that. And I'm trying to learn what that means now. And that includes you in the conference. But I need your forgiveness as well. Because I truly and deeply believe that unless we are submitted fully to the spiritual authorities that are over us, then we are out of order. And that the ministry that we can do and the people that we can be and the kingdom that we can see, that will happen. That will truly happen if we understand what it means to be submitted. Because for me, what that is and what you're seeing is a part of that journey. It's a part of being in that fire. And just to simply say, I'm tired of being a slave to the things that I expect of God. And I'm interested in being a spiritual son. And in order to do that, I need to begin here with your forgiveness and with yours and with yours. So I ask for that, Stephen. And I encourage you to consider what it might mean to fully submit all of what we have to the authorities that are over us. Not as in groveling, not as in knee-bending, but as in proactive uplifting of those that lead us to speak well and lovingly of who they are and who they are becoming and to support exactly what God is calling them to do. It is my privilege to not actually be chartering this year as a church, but to prayerfully submit as a community to the authority that is over me and to just encourage you to consider the power that it may mean for all of us to be in order with the order that God has set before us. Thank you. Fourth thing on this journey, I believe we are to leave living legacies behind us as we mentor the next generation of disciples and leaders. I'm reminded of what uh, Paul wrote to Timothy, my true son, he said. First called him that, and then he said, secondly, I'm reminded of the faith that existed in your mother and your grandmother, Lois and Eunice. That's, you know, this is a wonderful building. And uh, we've got super programs. Um, but I'm hoping all that contributes to to some lives that are left behind that look like ours because our lives look like Jesus. Um, one of those, I think, uh, who's been uh, mentored and grown by this church is Mark Williams and I, Mark Sharon. Well, gosh, if I'm the legacy, we're all in trouble. <laughs> uh, this time of year, I am reminded of the legacy Jesus left in the hearts of the shepherds in the Christmas story in Luke's Gospel. Luke 2.15, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. They travel to Bethlehem and the shepherds find Mary and Joseph and Jesus. And then in Luke 2.20, the shepherds returned 
glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. The return, I believe, is especially fascinating because the shepherds didn't stay in the manger. They returned home to their old jobs. They didn't seek new jobs in a new place. They came back to familiar places and familiar faces. Yet they returned to their old jobs as new men. But how can we be sure that they returned as new men? The same way people can tell when our lives have been changed. They thought differently. They behaved differently. They were different. They were new men. It is precisely this type of life change that I got to witness in the year 2007. Not only in leading the Alpha course, but also in a 10-week Sunday night worship service centered around just that, the fruit of the Spirit, but also in my work with Stephen Ministry and the Counseling Ministry as well. And in 2008, I will continue to remind myself that the shepherds did not go to Bethlehem to hear about abstract ideas. They were not in search of a philosophy or creed. They were sent there to see what had taken place. Something had happened in Bethlehem. The Lord was making something known in an event, a happening. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, I hope to be part of many more happenings in 2008 as more lives are changed into the image of Christ. For what I am aiming for in my ministry next year is not a new model or a new style or even a new breakthrough in science, but men and women whose lives have been changed by Christ and who hope to go back into the world to teach others uh, to live in grace and hope. May God continue uh, to bless this church and our lives and to steal a comment from Scott Hare. Not only am I trying to be submitted to God, but I'm trying to be submitted to my wife, who right now is studying for part one of her boards for medical school. And uh, each night I quiz her with pharmaceutical flashcards. And I told her I would be home at 8 o'clock. So I'm going to have to head out the door. I certainly appreciate your time. Thanks, Mark. Uh, I had one of those moments that I think parents are really pleased about. I was, out of the blue, my uh, youngest son said to me today, he said, Dad, tell me some more about Ray Vanderland. He said, I think I would like to do the kind of thing he did. And that gave me an opportunity to say, you know, it's not about archaeology. It's not about learning interesting facts about Jesus. I said, here's the deal with Ray. It's about following Jesus and trying to be as much like him as possible. And that, that, I like that for all of our children and youth. That, that's what I want. That, that's what I want. Um, another person interested in the legacy of our church is Harold Burkhardt. Not only am I interested, I'm part of the legacy of this church. <laughs> you can recycle them from the 1950s. <laughs> they, um, and I was reminded of the wonderful um, Emmaus weekend we had with uh, David as our spiritual leader and uh, Jay Llewellyn as our lay leader. That uh, one of the bricks from the sidewalk up there says Harold Burkhardt, 1946. And 
I'm somebody's legacy, you know? Somebody who made that, somebody who was there. And that comes way back. Uh, you know that we have at least three or 4,000 years of legacy, and the last 2,000 is very definite the legacy of the Christian faith. And uh, that's our job to live those lives that impress and guide and inspire uh, through the life of Jesus. Some of the things we do here physically have to do with legacy. I work with um, Bob Wark and the foundation, and we're glad to say that we got a 1.5 million now, and a couple gave 100,000 just this last couple of three weeks. And, um, and out of that comes people saying, I want my legacy to count somewhere later. And uh, that's just one kind of legacy, but it's an important kind. We don't know what form it's going to take in five years, but it's going to be something that that will help in the name of Jesus. Work with senior adults. And today I went to the hospital to visit uh, there, and down the hall I saw one of our physicians who was on the walk. I said, you would take the day off, wouldn't you? He said, you didn't. <laughs> <laughs> sure. You get about five hours sleep out there. <laughs> but um, we even went to the hospital because I worked with the senior adults, and Margaret Barnes went there yesterday for emergency surgery today because uh, of gallstone. And I think her last words on the gurney was, don't forget the cookies for the book review tomorrow. <laughs> and uh, there are people in this church who, who care and live and uh, have been here lots of years. There are lots of new people, and that's great too. We don't know what form it's going to take, but uh, the Spirit of Christ is going to be in it, and you be in it too. Thank you. I will say this. It was, they pointed out this was fascinating. You could use PowerPoint at the Walk to Emmaus. They were set up for that. Berkey not only used the PowerPoint, but he had like moving images and incorporated the band to play a song at the end. Of all the 15 speakers, there were those who did none of the stuff, like me, to the other end that the oldest speaker was the most multimedia. I thought that was pretty, pretty impressive. Uh, anyway. Lastly, and you haven't wanted to throw me out, and I hopefully not, uh, but I have to say the fifth thing about this journey is I believe on this journey we must be at least as attentive, if not more, to mission and ministry off campus as we are to mission and ministry on this campus. The fact of the matter is the people who do not know Jesus right now are not flocking into churches to find out about. We have to go out where they are. We have to go where they are. Meet them on their turf. Love them. And lead them uh, to Christ. And not for the purpose of our self-esteem or, or securing our future, but for their purpose. Uh, the purpose of them becoming like Christ and securing their future. That's what it's about. And one of the people who understands that um, is our... Uh, our New Heights pastor, who also will be leading us in a new effort, and Michael Crocker.
David gave us all three minutes, um, the pastors, and I've been timing everyone so far, only Harold, and uh, Mark, Mark was at 259.3, um, but Harold was 30 minutes, or 30 seconds short, so I have an extra 30 seconds since I'm the last one, but I will time myself. I'm apparently still in my spiritual teenage years, so, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> you just used up the 30 seconds. I uh, know. That's right. Your president's over, right? Yeah. Okay, so, um, <laughs> Uh, we are uh, currently, in, as, as David said, I'm kind of, uh, I see things from the outside. I came to my uh, strong Christian walk uh, later in life, a lot later than most of the other pastors, all the other pastors. Um, I spent a, a many more years um, following my own path uh, than they did. And because of that, I see the church a lot of times from the outside, and I'm a little bit skeptical of the church itself. Love the people, not always necessarily the institution. And I see it from that outside perspective. And I'm in a generation that I look around this room, there's only like a handful of us in here, uh, in my generation, quite honestly. And, and, and we see things a little differently. Um, no, Jessica, you're not in it. Um, and, and we see, I saw that little turn right there. Um, and we see things differently. And, and so coming to this building, a lot of times for somebody like me is very, I grew up in the Episcopal Church. But coming to this, the only reason I came to this building uh, was because of Keith Shelley. And I know I'm glad you're all sitting down uh, so that you, you heard that. I've known Keith for 30 years. And, and if he was here, I, I, when I was starting to get into my walk, I decided to come here because of him. And then I met some tall, goofy fella. But uh, I would not have come to this campus otherwise, really. It's an intimidating place. We've got no front door. We do, but who uses it? Seriously, since Granny can't park on uh, on the road out there anymore, nobody uses it. And you know, somebody comes in. To, I don't know if you've been in New Heights recently, but I preach in jeans a lot during the summer. I preach in shorts. If you've looked at our congregation recently, you see ethnicities all across the board. You see uh, economics all across the board, where they are, their status-wise, education-wise, all across the board. We have bus riders, a lot of bus riders that come. We have uh, people from all walks of life that come in there, and it's awesome, and it's great, and it's so encouraging to see that. And most of them come up to me when I say these types of things and say, you know what, I was really scared to come in here when I first came in because I didn't know that you'd be on the other side, you know, somebody that's me, you know, and I didn't know I'd see myself there. And there's still a lot of people that we're missing. You know, it says in the text that how, how will they know unless we tell them, you know, and we can't tell them from the stage and from the pulpit every Sunday because they're not here. We have to go to them. So what we're planning on doing, and, and I'm, so, I'm so way over three minutes, Glenn. Let's see. <laughs> David thinks a lot about stuff, and he's short. I never think about things. I'm always long. Um, and, and so what we want to do is we want to start a coffee shop on McCullough in an area of town that's a little bit off of our campus and try to reach out in a relational evangelism way. I, I consider myself an evangelical with a social bent. Um, I, I love the environment. I love... Um, taking care of people that need to be taken care of, but I'm a little bit conservative theologically. And so I, I want to get out there and share this good news of Jesus Christ that I know about and that people need to know about. And we want to do that and attack that through a different way, through relational evangelism at your local coffee shop and creating community. We're not trying to start a new church. Please let, let me say this. We are not starting a new church. I'm not leaving New Heights. I love that too much. I love preaching too much, obviously. Um, and... We're not starting a new church. What we want to do is get people into a relationship with Jesus Christ and help them find a church home. If it's here, great. If it's not, I don't care. Find a church home where Jesus Christ is being talked about, where you can deepen your faith and deepen your walk, because that's what 
That's what it's all about, is getting people, as he said, if we lose members because we're trying to get into a more real relationship with Jesus Christ, okay, that's all right. As Linda said, it started with 12. That's all I got to say. Uh, it, was, it was over three minutes. Uh, and I forgot to give you the scripture. It, Matthew 28. Go into all the world. Rather than telling, come all the world to the church. It's go to all the world. So, I don't know. I don't know where all we're going to go. But we're going to go where God goes. And we're able to do it because we're, we are so strong on this campus. I mean, that's what you need to understand. But our strength is not for ourselves. Our strength is for others. And because we are strong and stable and committed, uh, we're able to do this. And we will um, continue. So I I don't know. I hope next year to be able to tell you some of the places we've been. But I will not presume to tell you tonight where we are going. But I'm grateful uh, for your prayers, your attentive ears to God, and, and I'll be listening with you and listening to you as together we talk about what God might uh, do through us um, in the future.